The Quiet Carriage, the show about books and their authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and sponsored by Castlemaine's signature bookstore, Stone Man's Book Room. Broadcast on 94.9 Main FM and across the nation on the Community Radio Network. All aboard. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage. I'm Paul J. Laverty, broadcasting from Jaja Wurrung Country on Castlemaine's 94.9 Main FM and across Australia on the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stoneman's Book Room. Today on the show is part two of my interview with the author Paul Dolgano discussing his new novel, The Country of Eternal Light, which is out now via HarperCollins. And if you missed out on part one, uh, you can find it over on the podcast. And here is part two of that interview coming up right now. And I think it's the first novel of, of lit fiction that makes mention of COVID as well, off the top of my head. Uh, was it was it written during COVID? Yeah, so the main, uh, like some, some of the writing in the book uh, is as old as... I think 2013 or 2014 because oh, I, right. I started working on this that long ago and then broke off to do uh, other stuff I was, I was writing but um, the the main kind of the overall feel and the really kind of big big sprint to get it to look the way it looks now happened at the end of 2021 so between September and December I think it's like a three and a half month sprint where I'd just be made redundant and I happily took the money and mm-hmm. used that as a, a paid writing opportunity but that was also the end of the, um, the the very tale of all those lockdowns that we had in Melbourne so um, but I couldn't go anywhere anyway and you know I had my kids and my you know family all in the house um, and so I just basically wrote as if it was my job so like eight nine hours a day um, getting oh. up for a quick bit of lunch and then back, back to the desk and so that was really um, where the, the kind of overall cohesion of the book came from I guess and mm-hmm. yeah that uh, COVID was very much on uh, my mind as it was on every days and not, not just COVID but also the, the just kind of um, exhaustion really the kind of hmm. tiredness but at, at that end it was when everyone was starting to just um, break the rules anyway you know e- even the people who were absolutely outraged at uh, breaches of the lockdown for for the two years that they were going on by that stage it was just kind of like, oh, you know we just can't hmm. keep going on like this really hmm. so um i guess emotionally the position i was writing it in was one of um a kind of sense of real shared vulnerability my, my own my kids that you know the wider world and a, a kind of sadness and sensitivity to um i guess all, all of us and you know what we're going through and uh, the other things we'll probably have to go through in the next uh, number of years in our mm-hmm. lives yeah and the book is told from margaret's perspective um, I've written short stories before from a, from a female perspective, but but not a you know eighty thousand word novel. Um, first off, I, I really do think it works, but and you nail the voice very well. But why why Margaret? Why why uh, why a female? Did you did you think about writing from a from a male perspective, for instance? Um, I, I didn't really think about writing from a male perspective. No, um, but it, it took me a long time to 
get the voice to where I wanted it to be, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really didn't want um, was to end up with a kind of caricature uh, and for it to be, you know, like Mrs. Doubtfire, so that kind of Scottish <laughs> lady that's just kind of, hello, TV, you know, that, that whole kind of thing. So um, for me, um, yeah, I don't know, like my, my mum and my uh, two, two grandmas who, you know, lived well into my 30s, so had had a close relationship that whole time, um, were real close allies and my, I guess, advisors. I mean, that, that probably sounds a bit too fancy, but just people I uh, always, you know, really loved and respected and cared for and stuff. So I think I, I was really drawn to um, writing it from that kind of perspective. But yeah, it took it took ages. Like when it clicked, it really clicked. And in that that period, I'm, uh, I mentioned before, you know, the end of 2021, um, it just felt it clicked, and I, I felt I could write in that voice without it seeming like a weird pastiche or just inappropriate or anything. So um, yeah, I just kind of went for it without thinking about it too much after that point. Great, great. And uh, she is Scottish, the main character, and, and the novel is partly or perhaps even mainly set in Scotland. Uh, and you've, you've obviously been here for quite a few years. What is it that, that keeps driving you back to that place in a, in a creative sense? Well, um, you know, my, my previous novel to this one, Polly, didn't have any Scottish anything in it. It was all set in Melbourne and um, Australian characters, but... Um, I think um, when I think of family, as in my own growing up, not, not me and my kids now, but mm. um, that that is where I grew up. So like all those um, impressions and sense of the world around you and the limits of the world and stuff for me will always be um, Scotland and, and particularly Aberdeen, even though I've lived in different parts of Scotland as an adult. I think in those real formative childhood into teenager years, um, you know, the, the th- things kind of impress themselves upon you without you having any kind of critical distance from them. They're just you're just imbued with your uh, surrounds and and the people in your surrounds and things. So that that drew me back to that. But I, again, just you know, because of the whole COVID thing too, I, I had a real you know, I had um, family members die during mm. uh, COVID that I couldn't go back for, um, which is one of the reasons this book is about kind of complicated grief and the idea of not being able to see loved ones who have died um, but but also um, I mean as we were saying earlier I mean you know it's not metaphorical the distance between Scotland and Australia is gigantic which you know when you're actually on a plane doing it you're like oh it's it's not just like a number of these 24 <laughs> hours really are time that you're up in the air you know yeah. trying to get somewhere else so Particularly after those years, I think, of knowing that travel wasn't even an option. It was just this feeling of being really cut off from uh, even hypothetically being able to go back to Scotland. And and maybe that drove me a little more into thinking um, nostalgically, I guess, or just, um, yeah, just just kind of trying to to see it from a distance. Mm, Yeah. The the older I get as well, the further it seems away. Mm. Scotland and, and the flight just seems to get longer and longer as well. It's insane. I know. Yeah, I, just, I, I almost think like, well, I came out here with my parents. I'm like, how did they do this? You know, we, they had two young kids and uh, we had no family over here and no real reason to come over here. And uh, yeah, it's still, even now, 30 years on, really blows my mind. Uh, so how old were you when your parents came over here? 10. 
Yeah. Right. So I had no right. choice. <laughs> yeah. But no, but yeah. uh, it still seems so far. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, um, Scottish vernacular or language is, is a bit of an obsession of mine at the moment because of my PhD. And I was really pleased to see that you have some of that in there. You know, you, you use like old sort of Scots language. What was the sort of rule there? Why did you use it in some pieces and not other pieces? I mean, is, is it something you gave much conscious thought to? Yeah, it's something I gave a heap of conscious thought to. Right. So, um, basically, um, Margaret, the character, um, says quite early on that um, she, was, she was brought up to talk properly, which, you know, was mm. true for me and true for lots of people in that part of the world where you're told not to speak the dialect. And the, the dialect in Aberdeen um, has recently, about a year ago or something, been designated as a, a language rather than a dialect. Right. And it's, it's got its roots in Old German, Old Dutch, Norwegian, and it really doesn't... Um, yeah, you know, a, a kind of Glasgow accent. So you, you watch somebody like Billy Conley and you'll have lots of vernacular words, but all English speakers can understand them. It's just a kind of very kind of strong kind of Glasgow thing going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Aberdeen and, and north of Aberdeen, it's even more kind of extreme. It's actually this different dialect. So mm. I, I remember my parents were on holiday in Spain once talking in that dialect and a German couple came over and started talking to them and they were like, um, no idea what you're saying, but the German couple thought they uh, were speaking dialect of German. And li likewise, sometimes when I hear people talking German, I'm like, for, for three or four words, suddenly it's clear as day what they're saying and then suddenly it's a foreign language again. So um, that, that presents like a few issues. So, if, uh, you know, I had a narrator who's from Aberdeen if I'd tried to write the book in dialect um, or, or the language uh, Doric from Aberdeen, you know, um, especially if I was hoping to publish it in Australia, I think it would be a pretty big yeah. call. Uh, it, it's not just like inflections on words or, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Irvin Walsh being another good example of, you know, there's 20 or 30 words scattered out, repeat, scattered out uh, throughout the book repeatedly that you, you're, you just start getting from context and can follow quite easily mm -hmm. it would actually be quite alienating so um at the same time i didn't want to ignore it so you know Mar margaret kind of acknowledges that she was brought up to speak properly in quotation marks uh, acknowledges that that's a really political kind of um thing you know like a kind of unfair thing to tell people that their language isn't a, a real or valid language um so yeah it's more in certain scenes she's talking to other characters where they're talking in dialect, and then she can also reflect on that dialect and the different meanings of words and things. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, one of the weird things is because uh, probably as a result of um, Doric being so suppressed, really, throughout time, there's not actually, like, really clear spelling guides out there, too. You know, there's, there's not that much written in that dialect. So mm -hmm. even trying to do, like, dialogue that is, that, that is genuine um, can be quite... Um, difficult, and my my editor here at HarperCollins is Scottish, but not from Aberdeen. Hmm. And so, in these track changes, there would be things like, you know, wouldn't it be, you know, Whitney, if or you know, uh, wouldn't or something? And hmm. I'm like, no, I think it would be, you know, it wouldn't be W U. It would be, it wouldn't be, yeah, W U. Be W I, and all, hmm. all these kind of discussions because there's not actually 
a kind of source text you can oh. go to for a lot of the language. So it, it does end up becoming quite phonetic, and I think that would be really cool but super challenging and probably super limiting to try and uh, make that work across a whole novel. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage, a 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stoneman's Bookroom. And now we return to the final part of my discussion with author Paul Dolgano discussing his new novel, The Country of Eternal Light. Yeah, it's such uh, muddy waters, isn't it, the use of Scots? Because like you say, how you talk in Aberdeen, completely different from an hour away in Dundee. Completely yeah. different from Edinburgh, completely different... Oh, I mean, it's just... Where do you where do you start? Where do you... Yeah. I know, and I think it's, it's quite kind of... Um, it, it amazes me in Australia. I mean, obviously, there, there's huge variation in how people talk, and mm. there, there is a lot of um, regional variation in the accent. But, you know, I, I remember talking to somebody from the northeast of Scotland yeah. who claimed he could tell which side of town, and it wasn't even a big town, but which side of the town people came from based on their <laughs> accent. The, you know, the regional oh. variation uh, can, can be, you know, about a couple of streets away, not, not just a city or a, a state. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And uh, you had a big launch recently in Melbourne. Uh, how's, how's the whole launch been going for the book, the reception? Um, it's been it's been going really well, actually. Um, certainly, you know, more attention than anything I've written before, which great. has been really great and you know gratifying. And um, the the, the run up to it, but coming out um, for all three of my books has been the same for me emotionally, which is you know you're not really bracing yourself for success; you're bracing yourself for. <laughs> Um, deafening silence which mm. um, kind of happened with my first book and it, it felt it just kind of ripped my heart out I was just like oh my god what have I put myself through it was, mm-hmm. you know like this deep source of embarrassment to myself that I thought yay I'm, I'm now an author and then suddenly you know the publisher's out of business and nobody's even read the book and there's been no marketing around it and then the second book was uh, much better but the book mm. came out when shops had already been closed down for two months and nobody was allowed to leave their house and they were closed for another two months after it came out so I never got that sense the, the, the only bookshop I could get to within my f- permitted five kilometre radius had the book on their shelves uh, like inside the shop yeah. so my only chance of actually seeing it as a new release was you know going down on my bike 4.5 kilometres from my house and mm-hmm. craning my neck through the window so um, yeah certainly this time given we're, we're not in lockdown mm-hmm. and uh, I've been able to get around bookshops and talk to people and all the rest of it has just been you know extremely positive compared to uh, compared to what's gone before that's great and I saw you with a guitar as well at your launch I didn't I didn't know you were you were musical yeah um, yeah I've played guitar uh, for ages and um, actually played at my friend Lee Kaufman's uh, book launch right. last year which gave me the idea to do it, uh, mm-hmm. to do it for mine um, and yeah I played at the launch for my last book too so it's good. I, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's a bit like a, a Bollywood movie. You know, if, it, if something finishes with a song, um, it gives uh, it gives a different feeling to it. It's a yeah. kind of happy ending to an event. And um, in, in this case, it was uh, a song kind of made famous by the Corries, who you'll probably know, yeah. you know, a kind of a Scottish folk duo from the 
late well, mid to late 20th century who among other things wrote uh, what has become the Scottish national anthem but um, this was a song called uh, Wild Mountain Time and so uh, my partner and I handed out uh, kind of the lyrics and um, it was lovely there, there were uh, people singing along to it uh, as we played so it was yeah it was really beautiful and intimate and, and felt great anyway Beautiful and are you still working in journalism? Um, I am, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I edit a website called Screen Hub, which oh, yeah. um, there's, yeah, there's, there's three different sites. So there's Arts Hub, mm-hmm. uh, Games Hub, and Screen Hub. Screen Hub being, as, as the name would suggest, kind mm-hmm. of looking at films and TV and stuff. So yeah, I'm the, I'm the editor there. Great. And we, we touched upon COVID there, um, particularly you know with all the, the multiple lockdowns in Victoria. Um, I, I realise it, it sort of drove people to make some pretty big changes in their lives. Well, case in point, I'm doing this interview from my temporary home here in, in WA. Did it did it create any any shifts in you? Um, well, um, yes. I mean, you, you know, now um, I largely work from home, and the mm-hmm. one day a week I need to go into the office. I'm just really like how's this even possible, you know, what, I've got to drop my kids off, I've got to have a shower, I've got to brush my teeth all before like eight in the morning. So so that kind of like behavioral change has been huge, all these yeah. things that were just something you did five days a week, you know, to make it to work on time, to get home, to do these things. Suddenly, um, you know, my, my home setup for work feels like the more productive one than going into an office. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I've dropped down to like four days a week working because I just want to, um, I, I just have a sense that, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, uh, if I'm <laughs> honest, I'll be more kind of happy. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows how much pain I'll be in, but I'll, I'll be <laughs> potentially more happy with the idea that I've at least uh, tried to write what I wanted to write rather than, you know, I edited another 50 articles that week that, you know, um, I, you know, don't don't feel you know I feel happy with in the moment, but I, I don't feel have kind of a lasting um, impact for me, you know. Mm, mm. And one thing I really want to ask you is your choice of font when you write. Mm. For those not in the know, uh, Paul uses is it a forty-eight point font when you write yeah. your drafts? Yeah. Why? Oh, why? Does someone does someone do that? That must be like one word on the screen. <laughs> yeah, because it's not even just forty-eight point, and then put it into five hundred magnification. So <laughs> sometimes it's just one word on the screen. Assuming it's a little word, and the whole thing fits on there. Um, right. I, I've done that for years, and you know when I yeah. when I worked at the Herald, which you mentioned before, it was a huge open plan office, and uh, I worked at one side on the magazine desk. And way down the other side was the sports desk and somebody from the sports desk came up and was like I can read everything you're writing from where I'm sitting you know <laughs> it's like you know 200 meters away or whatever <laughs> so um, I'm not exactly sure other than um, I, for, for me um, I like to write really quickly so mm-hmm. um, I the, the last thing I want to do like the, the thing that would flip me out as a writer is writing the first sentence and then going back and revising it, which a lot of people do, and yeah. you know, obviously, is a very successful method for people to be like, I've perfected sentence one, I'm going on to sentence two. That for me really freaks me out. So what I'm always trying to do when I'm doing an initial draft is um, write faster than I can think 
And at, at one point, very briefly, what I did was turn the color off, uh, turn turn the brightness completely off on the monitor, mm-hmm. so I could write without seeing the words because I don't want to start second guessing what I'm writing. Right. But then, of course, um, after about five minutes, I'm, I'm having to check to see, you know, have I just logged into Facebook by accident and it's not actually typing into Word anymore? Mm-hmm. So, like the, the kind of solution or the thing that works for me is if I have the words like real big like that on the screen, like ridiculously big, it means I can always see that the words are going down, but mm-hmm. I'm not being caught up in any way on what I'm seeing because usually all I can see is about three letters. Right. Um, and it works for me because then what what I find happens, like if I say, okay, I'm giving myself half an hour and I want to write, you know, a thousand words in half an hour. And I know that the scene is going to start here and finish there and I just need to keep writing. I'm not going to stop for anything for that half hour or yeah. hour or whatever it is. I actually find when I go back and look at it at normal size, um, there are bits in there and I, I felt it while I'm writing that it's like, oh, wow, that's actually gone off on a much more interesting tangent and oh, that's right. the bit I'll actually work with. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's come about through all these like weird uh, steps along the way, but ultimately it's really... Well, well, there's two things. So I can't see what I'm writing, but mm-hmm. actually when it comes to editing, you know, um, if you have your words that size, you know, if a comma is as big as your elbow, you know, you're going to like know if you want it there or not in a way that you might not if it's like, you know, aerial eight point on the screen. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to convince me there, but you actually did. <laughs> it actually does make sense. There yeah, you I'm go. not to be defensive about it, but yeah, no, that's the reason. I think that's the great reason. response. And do you have a set uh, creative writing process now? Now you said that you've gone down to, to four days a week. Um, in, in terms of a kind of schedule and stuff. Yeah, for your for your own for your own stuff. Yeah, as opposed to work. Yeah, it's just to try and you know write on a Friday, which is the day I have off. So mm-hmm. as much as possible to try and uh, make that another working day. But um, yeah, just just working on my own writing. Yeah. Um, which I've never had before, you know, it was, it was always like, even just a year or two ago, my actual ambition was to get down to a four-day week, so um, I'm not actually sure I can afford to do it forever, but for now, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying just having a full, dedicated writing day. Yep. And what is it you're working on at the moment? So, I, I have another book coming out this year, actually, um, wow. in June, and um, I'm you know, I've got the final edits for that now, which are supposed to be back with the publisher by, you know, soon in the next mm-hmm. few weeks. So really, I'm coming to the last stages of that one, and and that's um, you know, that both the the book uh, that we're talking about, Country of Eternal Light, and this one, which is called Prudish Nation, were literally written back to back. I finished the novel, uh, and then the next day I had to start working on the other one because it was under contract, mm-hmm. uh, and I had to write it from scratch uh, last year, really. And that's um, it's basically it's part memoir, but um, loads of interviews. I think there's like thirty interviews with Australian authors who are in um, what could be called uh, unorthodox relationships uh, with other people or with themselves. Um, and the whole kind of question of the book is: is is Australia prudish? Is it a bit kind of uptight when it comes to issues of? Um, anything from sex, sexuality, age difference in relationships, sex worker, client relationships, and really um, trying to tease that out through um, speaking to loads of cool uh, authors who, who work in that space and uh, 
have that background, but they also engage with those ideas in their work. Fantastic. And that's uh, out through Harper as well? No, that's uh, Upswell. So okay. over your way, actually, in uh, UWA, uh, that's uh, Terry Ann Upswell Publishing. Yep. Fantastic. Well, we have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, Paul Dolgano, your new novel, A Country of Eternal Light, that one is out now via HarperCollins. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us today, Paul, on The Quiet Carriage. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage with myself as your host, Paul J. Laverty. And then we had, uh, then we had another Paul, Paul Dolgano. Uh, discussing his new novel, The Country of Eternal Light, out now via HarperCollins. And that was part two. And if you missed part one, you can find it on, uh, you can find it just over on the podcast. And that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. Uh, we're sponsored by Stowman's Bookroom. And you can hear The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM, the Community Radio Network, and like I say, all other episodes are available on Spotify and all good podcast platforms. Until next time, keep reading. Oh,